In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What if? We've heard that question before, no doubt. What if I ate all my Halloween candy in one night? What if the moon was made entirely of Tillamook extra sharp cheddar cheese and I ate it all? Parents and grandparents, even teachers from Sunday school all the way up to seminary are familiar with the what if hypothetical question. It's the kind of question that the Sadducees brought to Jesus in Luke 20, isn't it? A gotcha, a what if question. It's a little bit important to remember some of the background of the Sadducees. They were a little bit of the aristocrats of Jesus' day. The elite upper echelons of society, they controlled the temple and the politics, at least in Jerusalem. So being the good storyteller that he is, St. Luke gives us a little clue about the Sadducees and their true motivations right from the start of the reading today. There came to Jesus some Sadducees, those who deny there is a resurrection. So the Sadducees denied the bodily resurrection, life after death, didn't believe in a word of it. They also held to a strict Torah-only authority of Scripture, only the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Everything else was simply rabbinic rubbish. It's why when the Sadducees weren't teaming up with the Pharisees against Jesus, they were squabbling against each other about all sorts of things with the Pharisees. So here's the setup of their hypothetical question they bring to, to Jesus. Teacher, Moses wrote for you that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Being good Sadducees that they were, they quote Deuteronomy 25. It was about the laws concerning what is called leveret marriage. It was the obligation of a brother to marry his brother's widow if he had no heirs. That way the family lineage can continue on even after his death. Now admittedly, this sounds a little strange to us. It's not how we operate. But it was all connected to the importance of family lineage and offspring and inheritance and the promised seed. And it goes all the way back to God's promise to Abraham. But of course, none of that is really important to the Sadducees or to the reading here as much. The Sadducees weren't really interested in Mosaic laws. They weren't there to talk about the finer points of leveret marriage either. Remember, the Sadducees denied the resurrection. They didn't come to Jesus asking him out of genuine curiosity. They instead toss a little hypothetical hand grenade, hand grenade over to Jesus to trap him, to trip him up in his words, and if they were really lucky, to try to dismiss and brush off his crazy teaching about the resurrection of the dead. If the Sadducees were on Facebook or social media today, we would call them trolls, because that's what they're doing to Jesus. What do you think, they say to Jesus? There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. The second and the third. And likewise, all of the seven, they left no children, and they all died. Afterward, the woman also died. So, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, I'm sure the Sadducees thought they were being pretty clever here. 
thinking, if Jesus denies Moses and the law, great, that's good for us. If he denies marriage or the resurrection, well then also he's not quite the rabbi that everybody claims he is. And all the more, if we can make his teaching on the resurrection sound absurd and ridiculous. But Jesus, of course, being the chess master, is steps ahead and sees the game all the way through to the end here. So he moves straight through all these absurd questions and the big hypothetical scenario to the unbelieving heart of the questioners. It's really not about the law of Moses and marriage. It's about the resurrection. It's about faith in God's promise to raise the dead, as he said he would. So Jesus said to them, The sons of this age, that is, the people who live in this life, they marry, they're given in marriage, that's part of life in this world. But he goes on to say, those who are considered worthy, and here we should understand Jesus' words as in those who have been declared worthy in Jesus, those who are worthy by his grace in Christ. Those who are worthy attain to the age of the resurrection, where there is resurrection from the dead. And there, Jesus says, in that age, in that life, there is life after death. And there, in that age, where there is no death, people neither marry, nor are they given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. And they are equal to angels and sons of God and sons of the resurrection. Now this, of course, also does not mean that we become angels when we die. It's not what Jesus is saying. It simply means that, like the angels, when we rise again in the resurrection, we rise never to die again. That's the hope. That's the comfort of the resurrection. Not that we become bodiless, spiritual kind of angel-like things, but that by God's grace, through all the twists and turns, the ups and downs, the sorrow, the pain, the hurt, the death and disease of this life, that in Jesus' death and resurrection, we too are going to be raised up just as he was raised on the third day too. A glorified new creation. A real resurrected human body though. Now it's hard, I think, to underestimate just how remarkable, how amazing Jesus' words are here. Because we live in a world that is simply obsessed with death. Because on the one hand, it's either glorified and idolized. You've probably heard it this way. It's our right to choose it, whether it's unborn or aged. Or death is denied and tried to push it under the rug a little bit. And we end up idolizing ourselves. YOLO, people say. You only live once. In other words, do whatever you feel feels good to you or feels right to you. Whether it's right or not, you only live once. Now, if you think about it, that's not all that different from the Sadducees, really. No resurrection, no life after death. All that matters is now live in the moment and that kind of thing. But by exposing the Sadducees' selfishness and their unbelief in God's promise of the resurrection, Jesus also exposes our sin. He exposes and reveals that within each of us, there's a little Sadducee who likes to cling to the stuff of this world more than Jesus' word. As if this is all there is. As if I mattered most and no one and nothing else matters at all. Now the Sadducees were right about one thing. 
if the resurrection is just a repetition or just a similar version of this world, well then that would be pretty ridiculous, wouldn't it? If it was just a repeat performance and nothing new, it wouldn't be all that much to hope for. But the resurrection is something completely different. It is a world without death. Have you ever thought about it that way? Think about it again. A world where no one dies, where no one gets sick, where no one hurts or suffers, where there is no pain, where there is no more death. It's pretty hard to imagine, I think. We might even think, like the Sadducees, that that sounds a little absurd sometimes. All the more reason why faith in this gift of eternal life, why trust in God's promise and the resurrection and all of God's word is exactly that. It is a gift from Him. It is by grace through faith in Christ, not by any work or merit or reason of our own. It is by His gift for us in His death and resurrection. So Jesus finally makes his checkmate move against the Sadducees here. And he quotes the Torah. He goes back to Exodus 3. But that the dead are raised, Jesus says, even Moses showed you in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac. He says he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. God is the God of life. It's true that God gave laws through Moses, laws that preserve our life in this world, that show us our sin, that discipline us as his children, but he also gives a far greater promise to us through Moses about life in another world, a world without end, a world without death, a world with simply life and the endless day. Notice what Jesus says here. The grammar is important and interesting. He doesn't say, I was their God, but I am. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Present tense. I am the God of you, he says. And so they are alive to him as he is alive to them. Because a hypothetical resurrection doesn't give us any hope, does it? For we do not have hypothetical sins, but we have real ones, real sin, real suffering, real death. But we also have a real Savior, Jesus, that comes to take on our very real suffering and death by a real historical and reliable, true death and resurrection for us, where he accomplished where he won for us that world without death. And in this world that is immersed in death, to us Jesus brings this promise of eternal life and never-ending life. For Jesus is the God of the living, the crucified, risen, ascended, living one for you, present with all of his promises for you today, as surely as he was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses And all who await Christ's appearing, all who await that resurrection of the dead. I am the God of the burning bush for Moses. I am the God, I am the God in the pillar of fire for Israel. I am the God who came in the womb for you, 
in flesh for you. I am the God of the cross and the grave and the ascension for you. I am the God who comes to you in word and water in your baptism to be with you daily, drowning your sin and raising you to new life. I am the God with you in my body and blood, bread and wine, given, shed for you. I am the God who speaks in your word to comfort you, absolve you, forgive you, to bring you hope and comfort in this life, not hypothetically, but truly, eternally. For Jesus is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, and you are alive in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.